be able to share with you this morning, though, um, it's, I, don't, I don't think this is going to be like a, a typical sort of sermon or preaching type session, but, but rather really I just wanted to share with you uh, a little bit about what's been going on in my life for uh, the last few months. And, um, but more importantly, not so much the specifics of what's been going on, but more importantly what God's been teaching me uh, through it all. And, and my hope and my prayer is that you're encouraged and, and maybe challenged. And, and if you find you're in a similar place, then um, take heart. You're not alone. You know, and, and God really has good things for you. Um, if you'll just trust him and follow him and walk in his ways. Um, I just, I was given a word by Lorna um, uh, uh, after prayer and the word that Mike's brought. And, and both of them just really resonate with kind of where I'm at this morning. Um, so I just want to thank you for that. Um, I don't want to focus on specifics. I don't, I don't think that would be right. But, but much of what I've been facing into over the last few months has to do with the subject of, um, in, in my case, fatherhood, but I guess parenthood in, in general, and, and how to face into the reality that um, our children, funnily enough, don't always behave in the way that you kind of hope they would, or that you've taught them to. And uh, as many of you know, I, I have four lovely children. Uh, no, really, I do. Some of you know them and are thinking, really? That's yes, they are. Um, you know, each one brings something incredibly unique, and, and all of them are, are gifted and, and talented. And, and as frustrated as I can get with them... Um, you know, I truly couldn't imagine my family without any of them. I, I really can't. And, you know, when I think about everything we've been through, um, it staggers me. I was there at the birth of every single one of them. You know, I, I've, I've held every single one of them. They won't let me do that anymore. It's really sad. Just saying, okay. I've changed them. I've clothed them. I've watched them walk. And I've been there to teach them how to run and to ride and to swim and, and to grow into the incredible people that they are today. And, and for me, I've been really blessed because I've had the honor of being able to baptize all of them. And that, I can't tell you how special that, that has been for me. And over the years, I, I've tried, and and and, I'm, and not always successfully. I, I don't think I'm I'm, I'm the world's best dad, um, but I have tried over the years to teach them about God and and to help them grow in faith, because I truly believe that the greatest thing that they can possibly do is to know Jesus and to uh, walk their lives with Him in it. Uh, and, and that's true not just for them, but for everybody. But that's my heart's desire for them, is to know him and to walk their lives with him in it. So my heart for them is to, to see them to, to become all that they can possibly be. And for them to know the fullness of God's blessing in their lives. 
And I don't think that that's very uh, far from God's heart for each and every single person in this room today. I I think his heart uh, is for us to know what it is to walk in his blessing. That's it, It just is. And when I look at the scriptures, they're, they just, they're just full of verses that express God's Father's heart for us. So when you read, for example, um, and I'm hoping some of these will come up, and, and we're going to go through some quite quickly, but Psalm 68, 5 and 6 clearly states of God that he is a father to the fatherless a defender of widows. God sets the lonely in families and he leads out the prisoners with singing. Isaiah 64, 8 says, Yet you, Lord, are our father. We are the clay, you are the potter, we are all the work of your hand. All of us. Matthew 6, 8 tells us your father knows what you need before you even ask him. Just a quick note to my kids. It means you don't need to keep coming up and asking me for stuff. I already know what you need. Just saying. Matthew 18, 4 says your father in heaven is not willing that any one of these little ones should be lost. God's heart is to not lose anybody. 2 Corinthians 6.18 I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And if we have any doubt about his heart towards us, 1 John 3.1 says How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. There are just so many more verses, but I just want you to think about what these verses are saying about who God is and and how he views us. You know, God, the creator of the universe, God who made everything we see and touch and enjoy, wants us to be his children. And he wants to be a father to us. But not just any father. He wants to be a perfect father to us. Who blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship. That's Ephesians 1, 3 and and 5. He sounds just perfect, doesn't he? Doesn't he? Isn't he just the kind of father we really all want? Isn't he? He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He always loves us. He's always there for us. He, he knows what we need. He gives us good and perfect gifts. He has a perfect plan. And to be honest, what child wouldn't bend over backwards for a father like that? Yet amazingly, as perfect a father as he is, how many of you here today, right now, you, have argued with him, shouted at him, 
grumbled, complained, or just downright disobeyed him. Oh, thank you. For a second there, I'm thinking, (laughs) this is such a wonderful, wonderful fellowship. They just don't need to hear this. You know, I think we all do it. And I think we all do it because we're kids. And kids do it. I know they do. You know, I want you to know that you're not alone. And, and in fact, you're in, you're in good company because the Bible is full of stories of God's children throughout history that have done exactly the same thing. It, it seems to be a, a, a common practice from, from my children with me to me with my father, both my earthly father and my heavenly father. And so, on the one hand, it, it's comforting to know that I'm not the only one to face into this, but, but there's a warning also that I think we need to heed. We need to look back on how God has dealt with his children throughout the ages and hopefully learn that, that when we act like disobedient children, we can miss the blessings of God. But when we listen to our Father, we enjoy Fruitful and full lives, full of blessing. So I just want to share with you, uh, in a kind of a big picture overview, something of of some of God's children, the children of Israel. Um, Because as I've been facing into the problems that I have with my own children... I've been going through the story of the children of Israel when they were, when they were set free from Egypt. Remember that? That, that whole event? And, and you know, in the Bible there are a, a lot of things that represent spiritual truths. So, um, if you take for example leaven, the word leaven, it, it's yeast. In, in scripture, leaven is often a, a picture of sin. So Jesus says to um, the people, doesn't he, beware the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So he uses leaven and this this uh, thing that helps make the bread rise as a, a picture of how a little bit of sin can just amplify. Um, and other examples, um, so for example, Abraham and Isaac. You know when uh, Abraham and Isaac are on the mountain and Abraham's um, asked to sacrifice his son? And, and that was a real event with real people, but it was a picture of something bigger than that. It was a picture of, of Christ on the cross and how the Father would provide himself a sacrifice. And a, a, a little bit later on, when Abraham sends out the unnamed servant to go and get a bride for Isaac, that's a picture of the Holy Spirit. It's a picture of the Holy Spirit being sent out to, to, to get us Because we are the bride of Christ. And so the same is true for Egypt. Um, You know, Egypt is often a picture of the world. And and it represents the world as a place of, of bondage and of slavery place of entrapment. And so if, if Egypt is a picture of the world, we then have the promised land. So, so what's the promised land a picture of? So, the kingdom of heaven. Oh, okay, if you just hadn't have put the word kingdom of in the front, 
I'd, I'd have been able to jump on you. Um, well, a lot of people say heaven, don't they? And, and, and I've heard a lot of preachers, um, or I've heard quite a few people preach on the idea that the promised land is a picture of heaven, Egypt's a picture of the world. But let me share with you why, why I think they're actually not correct. You see, when Israel came to the edge of the promised land the first time, um, do you remember what happened? They, they sent out spies to spy out the land. Do you remember? So if you all know the song, 12, 12 spies, how does it go? 12 spies went to spy out Canaan. 10 were bad, 2 were good. You don't know that one? So, okay. I, I spent quite a while in children's church. Yeah. They know it. Um, but when they went out to spy out the lamb, what did they find? They, they all agreed that it was a lamb flowing with milk and honey, but, but there were people there, weren't there? It was an occupied land. And there were cities and, and fortresses and strongholds and, and, and challenges that they had to face. Does that sound like heaven? It doesn't, does it? You know, when, when Israel finally did enter the land, they had to fight battles. They had to clear the lands out. They had to tear strongholds down. And, and with those battles, that meant a war. And in war, there's fighting. And in fighting, there's, there's pain and death. Yeah? Does that sound like a picture of heaven? So I, I don't think we'll face any of that in heaven. So if it's not a picture of heaven, what is it? And, and, and I want to put it to you that, um, you know, my view for, for many, many years is that it's not a picture of heaven, but, but rather a picture of the life that God wants us to live in. A life of blessing. A life full of good things. You see, the land was flowing with milk and honey. You know, if you remember when they came back, they brought back um, some grapes, didn't they? They they weren't like a little bunch of grapes that you get in Asda. They were carrying them on poles between two men. You know, blessing. Like grapes on steroids. (laughs) So for me, I don't think it's a picture of heaven, but a picture of the life that God set us free to live in. For, for Israel, it was a physical place. It, it was the land that God had promised to Abraham. A rich and abundant land where the people would be able to live and grow and settle and grow in God's blessing so that they could be a light to the nations around them. For us, I, I believe it's not so much a physical place, but, but rather a state of living that God desires for us. Having a rich life where we can grow and be blessed and be a light to the people around us. When people look at our lives they need to be able to look at it and see that it's a very different life to the life that the world gives us. And yet, if we're spending all our time in the world and they look at our lives, it doesn't look that much different, does it? But when we're living a life in the world, remember, we're told be in the world, but not of it. When we're living a life in the world where our lives are full of things like joy and peace and abundance and, uh, and I'm, you know, I'm not preaching a, a sort of prosperity thing, but, but an abundant life, 
a God-given life, a God, uh, a life with God's blessing in it. People look at what they've got in the world and they look at what we've got over here and they go, wow, I want a part of that. That's the life I want. And yet I've found that there are many times when uh, I've missed God's blessing. Because like Israel, um, I haven't walked into the land. I haven't actually taken hold of that life that God really wants for me. And sometimes God needs to take me on a little bit of a journey to teach me how to trust him more. So that, that when I come back to where he wants me, I can take hold of that life with both hands. And we see exactly the same thing with Israel. They get right up to the edge of the land, but, but when they look into it, even though that they can see that the land is good, they also see that it comes with challenges, battles that need to be fought, strongholds that need to be torn down. Yeah? And sometimes I think we can look at those battles and we can look at those strongholds and we can look at the challenges that lay ahead of us in that land and and they can seem too big and fear and doubt stop us from taking hold of it. And that's exactly what happened with Israel. Twelve spies went into Canaan. They all came out and ten of them, this is peer pressure, Ten of them said, yeah, it's a great land, but man, we don't want to go in there. The the giants in that place, it'll it'll be a massacre. And two of them stood there and said, yeah, but but it's our land. It's God's given land. He's with us. He's with us. And if ever there was a sign of peer pressure in the Old Testament, I think this is a great example. The people heard the voices of ten and the voices of two, and they went with the ten, and they ignored the two, and the two were right. There you go. Evidence democracy isn't always a good thing. You know, just because the majority of the people say it doesn't make it true. And they were afraid and they were scared and, and, and so they grumbled and they complained and, and they, um, they said, you know what, we need to get a couple of new leaders in here, get, get rid of Moses, get rid of Aaron, um, you know, stone those two. We're leaving, get a new leader. We want to, and listen to what they did. We want to go back to Egypt. I want to go back into the world because this Christian life is just a little bit too tough. There are things I have to face into that I don't want to face into. It was a lot easier when I was in the world. Really? Really? And do you know what I love about the story? God's not happy with them. He was... A little bit angry. And, and the reason I, I, I love that so much is because it kind of vindicates me when I get angry with my children. I look at it and I go, disobedient kids, I'm allowed to get angry. God got angry. God got so angry he was just going to wipe them out. 
And uh, so I'm just looking at my kids' faces going, okay. Uh. <laughs> you know, when I, genuinely, when I look at uh, or, or, or all I've tried to do for them, and it, it's not always been good, but, but when I look at what I've tried to do for them, when, when I just think about um, what I've done for them and, and, and the blessings that I've given them and the, the things that I've tried to raise them up in, when they walk in disobedience, I tell you, I get angry. And, and it's, I just want to shout at them and pick them up and shake them. And I haven't ever, haven't ever. <laughs> but just as Moses talks with God, so Vicky will sort of talk with me and, and calm me down. And, and I try and do what God does. I try and take them on a journey. And, and that's what I love about this whole story. You, you know, Israel needed to take a bit of a diversion. In their case, it was a 40-year diversion. Um, But what I see in the story that's so amazing um, that expresses the father's heart for his disobedient children is he doesn't just send them off into the desert on their own, but rather he travels the road with them. You know? And the thing that really stood out to me was that what God was doing was was not so much punishing them for their lack of faith. Understand this. Discipline is a good thing. It doesn't feel like a good thing when you're being disciplined, but it's actually a good thing. It's a thing out of love. But understand the warning here. When we walk in disobedience, expect a consequence. That's just a fact of it. So God doesn't uh, avoid the consequence. He doesn't say, you know what, I love you so much, so don't worry about it. There is a consequence, but it's a consequence that he helps them face with him. He takes them on a journey in which they could learn to trust him, even in the driest of places. So I think this, this word about the desert and this word about raindrops, and, and I don't know, it's incredible, isn't it? It wasn't that God decided that he wasn't going to bless Israel. Uh, he didn't just give the gift or the blessing away never to be seen again, but, but rather he needed to sort of put it on a shelf for a season. You know what I mean? He needed to spend time with his children working through issues, bringing them through it so that when the time was right, he could go back to the shelf and take the blessing down. And I came to that realization when I I recently bought one of my children a gift. It it was something I knew they would like. It it was something I'd been wanting to get them for a while. And I I was really looking forward to giving it to them and and seeing their face and sharing their joy with them. But just before I came to giving it to them, I, I found out that they had not really been behaving in a great way. There were issues that needed to be dealt with. And, and so, you know, I've, I've had to put the gift on a shelf. I'm not going to say which one because they'll, they'll go looking for it. Um, 
And the truth of it is, is when I found out what was happening, I was, I was angry and, and I was hurt and I was disappointed. But Vicky helped to calm me down. People prayed with me. And, and so I've had to start a journey with my kids. The blessing's on the shelf. And, and, and I'm looking forward to the day when they can receive it. But right now we need to take a diversion. We need to go on a journey when I can, where I can try and help them. And, and I hope it's a time where they learn to trust me and to walk in the right way. Because it's when we do that, we can start thinking about the blessing that God wants to give us. So this morning, I I just kind of wanted to share with you my thoughts and my experiences. And and to let you know that God has so many good gifts and blessings for all of you. because, Because you're his children. And he loves you. But I also want to warn you that you can miss out on blessings just like Israel did. Not everyone got to live in the promised land. Not everybody got to experience the life that God really wanted for them. And I think it's sad when, uh, when we're, we're saved, we're set free. And we're set free to enjoy life in a particular way, in the way that God wants us to. But we get set free, but we don't walk God's way and we miss his blessing it doesn't mean that we're not free being in the desert and 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 you know not really experiencing the fullness of God's blessing doesn't necessarily mean you're not free but you're not living in the the abundance of the life that God has for you. And for, for Israel, it was that entire generation, bar two, that got to experience the fullness of God's life for them. An entire generation. It didn't mean that Israel didn't get into the promised land. It was the promised land. He promised it. And Israel did go into the promised land. But not everybody got to experience that blessed land, did they? And who did? The two that trusted that the Lord was bigger than the obstacles in their way. They held on to the promises of God. They were the ones that wanted to move forward with him and they were the ones that got to experience that blessing. I think it's interesting. It's another reason why I don't believe that the promised land is a picture of heaven. You see, the people of Israel didn't enter into the fullness of the life that God had for them, but they were a people who were set free. They were set free from Egypt, that picture of the world. But they were also a people who God dwelt with and cared for and guided, provided for them. But it was in a life that wasn't his plan for them. Does that make sense? How many of us find ourselves in a place where you're saved? You've given your life to Jesus Christ and you're saved. But you're not living in the life he has planned for you. 
It's good to be honest about it, isn't it? I think it's sad when today we find ourselves walking in the desert because we're not trusting the Lord with every part of our lives. Our blessings get shelved. And, and you know, that it's sad to say it, but maybe there are many blessings we'll never see because we didn't just trust him in certain areas. There were blessings that we don't experience because we didn't submit our lives to him in those areas. Do you know how many blessings he has for you? I, I don't think you can begin to imagine what you receive from the Lord if you were to live just one day, one single day from start to finish, the moment you wake up to the moment you go to sleep, doing, living, walking in complete and utter surrender and obedience to Jesus, I think you would be absolutely staggered at what he has for you. I think it would be um, a nice little challenge, wouldn't it? You know, over the last few months, uh, I, I feel like I've, I've been both um, a little bit like Israel and a little bit like the Lord. You know, like Israel, because I, I know I haven't trusted him in everything. And I know I'm missing his blessing in certain areas of my life. But then I've also felt a little bit like the Lord with my children, and, and, and I felt frustrated and, and saddened and having to shelve gifts while we go on a journey in the desert. But it tells me that just like Israel, as they're journeying through the desert, uh, God was with them, providing for them, supernaturally providing for them. And, And even when he blessed them with manna, they got that wrong. I'd never really thought about this before, but do you know what? God can give you a supernatural gift and you can misuse it. Did you know that? And you can actually spoil the gift. God gave them manna from heaven and said, just take what you need for the day. That's, that's all you do. Just take what you need for the day. And, and some of them thought, yeah, I'll have some of that. Bit greedy. Kept it the following day. What happened to it? Worms and rotting and everything. And yet on the Sabbath day, on the Sabbath day, on the Friday, collect double portion. Yes? For the Sabbath. And, and it got to the morning. That bread didn't spoil. Did it? It's kind of like, okay, I'm going to bless you with this. Fine, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to store that up. No, just take what you need. No, I want it all. And it ruins. But when you do it God's way, it's perfect. I never thought about that before. You know, last week I was in children's church and um, we're in a season in children's church where each week the leaders are, are bringing a verse that means something special to them. So, so the leaders are bringing a verse that means something special to them and then sharing with the children why that verse is special to them. And, and uh, to correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the idea is that the children get to realize 
why scripture is relevant and how scripture is relevant in our lives today. And because it's just a single verse, it, it kind of facilitates um, memory verse and, and that kind of stuff. So last week, um, I brought two verses that have really helped me through. And, and uh, I've been saying them every day since last Sunday, and I think we'll get them up. Um, they're from Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, and they say this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. And that's what I've been saying every day. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Not most of it, some of it, all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. Stop doing it your way. In all your ways acknowledge him. There's another translation of the word acknowledge there and it's submit. But we don't like using that word, do we? In all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. You know the interesting thing that when you come out of the Red Sea and you go to the promised land, did you know that it only takes, even in those days, about 11 days? to get from being set free into the promised land, it's about 11 days. If, if somebody knows different, tell me, because I don't want to say something that's wrong, but 11 days. How long did it take him to get there? 40 years. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. 11-day path, 40-year path. I know which one makes more sense to me, and yet I often find myself over here. I want to encourage you to... You know, I've been learning a lot through the desert years. And sometimes we can spend a week in the desert. Sometimes we can spend a year, 10 years, 40 years. But, you know, God's still always there. God's still always providing. God's still always caring. And God's heart is that you still get back into the land of promise.